Thank you that your gospel is still changing lives. Thank you that your church is growing. Your promise is that the gates of hell will not stand against the work you have uh, planned to do. Lord, thank you that you are more than able to change the hearts of men, women, and children to yourself. Lord, you're able to take hearts of stone and turn them into hearts of flesh. Lord, I pray that you would encourage our brothers and sisters out there on the front lines. Lord, men and women who are um, going forth with that gospel message, Lord, in, in cultural, societal contexts that are resistant, that are apathetic, that are complacent, that are just dead to the things that, uh, that concern you. So, Lord, I pray that you would just, they would know that there's a, there's a church community that loves them, that are praying for them, that are here not only in our prayers, but also in resources to help them do that work of ministry. So thank you, Lord. We look forward to future reports of how the gospel is continuing to go forth and change lives for your glory and for the gospel. Lord, thank you today for today and the update that Dale's been able to bring us, Lord. Thank you for being a God who is just still present and active in our world, Lord. We give you all the glory and pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Give it up for Dale again, if you would. So, and his uh, and his cute little baby uh, Violet over there. Hi, Violet. How you doing? She is a, that kid. Her cheeks just keep growing every single week. <laughs> Titus chapter two. Turn there in your Bibles, if you would. Um, anyone ever have awkward moments in their life? How many of you have daily awkward moments in your life? Um, last week I was uh, getting ready to 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 preach my message and. Uh, I come up on stage, and my wife goes, there's one more song. There's one more song. And I quickly just kind of turned around and walked off. Like, rarely does that happen. It was an awkward moment, right? We all have awkward moments. Matter of fact, um, a poll was done recently by, uh, by BuzzFeed, and they just said, what are the top five awkward moments that people experience in, in life? And so uh, starting at number five, we'll count down to number one. Um, the fifth most awkward moment is going to a party and seeing somebody wear the same outfit you're wearing. 45% say that's an awkward moment. How about number four? 53% say saying goodbye to somebody and then leaving, going in the same direction as them. Awkward? Yeah. How about third most awkward moment coming in at 66%? The person who traps you for a chat that you don't want to have. Anyone ever been there before? 66%. How about this one? 86% awkward. Here it is, number two. Attempting a handshake, hug, or kiss and having the other person choose something different. Like, what are, what are we doing here? 86%. And the number one most awkward moment at 97% is having to introduce someone when you can't remember their name. <laughs> Happened to me Christmas Eve. My neighbor, who I've known for years, was here. And uh, everyone's name that was, I was meeting for the first time started with M. And my neighbor, whose name is Maria, I introduced her as Marie. And she goes, it's Maria. And I'm like, oh! You guys ever been there? Awkward moments. But what BuzzFeed left out, I think, is the true number one most awkward moment. At 100%, you want to know what it is? Not being ready to meet God. You like that? Provocative? Incendiary, perhaps. You are here today, and you are a human being created in God's image. And God wants you to know that he has created you for himself. And I think the most awkward moment for anyone to experience is to realize that you've missed that moment because here's the reality he's coming back i think it was the reverend al green who in the 70s sang he's coming back just like he said he would come on everybody right like reverend al green he's coming back and just seeing your responses of me just mention this fact that he's returning tells me we've grown lethargic in remembering that fact have we grown weary in remembering this world is not our home? Have we grown weary in, in remembering that Jesus says, I'm coming back soon? But I'll tell you what, 2,000 years, it's easy to grow a little bit apathetic. 2,000 years, Jesus leaves, he ascends, right? And the angels say, hey, what are you guys doing looking up? 
get to work. But just like he ascended, he's going to come back the same way he left. So what does he say? Get ready. People get ready. Jesus is coming. There's another song there. See, the soul singers know all about this. But my soul brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, he's coming back. Have we forgotten about this? Here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to do one of those horrible movies from the 70s, A Thief in the Night, that's going to scare you into realizing, he's coming back, I better get ready. How many of you were converted to Jesus because of, of some sort of fearful movie like that, A Thief in the Night, or Left Behind? Horrible theology. I just have to tell you right now, horrible theology. He is coming back, but I want you to understand the beauty of something, that today's the day of salvation, and you could be prepared for his arrival. See, the most awkward moment for any single human being is to live this life thinking you can do this apart from him, and when he comes to give an, for you to give an account, you have nothing to say. I don't want you to be there, you guys. See, we've been doing this series for the month of December, and, and it all revolves around Christmas. Why did God send the Son? Remember week one, there was a promise that God would rather die for us than live without us. So the promise of the Old Testament is that Jesus is coming. Week two, son sent. Galatians 4.4, 4, just the perfect time. God sends the son into the world. Why? Week three, to be condemned, to take, for, take on himself the sin that we deserve to be punished for, and he does it for us. What? He takes our sin, we're given righteousness, and now we have a right standing before God because of Jesus' faithfulness? Are you kidding me? Last week, talk about the king's reign, the son's reign, that this is his world. This is his universe. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. One day, every single person will bow. Every tongue will confess, every knee will bow, and, and proclaim him to be king. Some will do it out of delight because we have known him, and some will do it out of duty, and they'll be forced to acknowledge this. But today, the last week, the son's returning. He's coming back, just like he said he would. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't want this to be an awkward moment for anybody. It's kind of like last night when the Dallas Cowboys barely beat the Detroit Lions. Barely. If you watch this, debacle. Horrible plays all over the field. It was a defensive battle the whole night. Great game. Lions marching down the field. Seconds left. They score a touchdown. Dan Campbell... Coach of the Lions, real, real aggressive, real adventurous. I like his spirit, right? He's going for two points, conversion, to make them win the game. They make a play. They get the conversion. They think they won. They're celebrating, and all of a sudden, penalties called ineligible man on the field to receive the penalty. It's a hold. They end up losing. The Lions lose to the Cowboys. As a Cowboys fan, I'm happy about that. I'm not necessarily happy about the way it went down, but I'm happy the Cowboys won. But at the end of the game, they had a post-game interview with the quarterback of the Lions, Goff. And he said this, and I, and, I, and I want you to think about his words. He says, it's unfortunate, man, Goff said. I don't know if I've had this feeling before where you feel like you won and then you didn't. This is the way it's going to be with life. What Goff just mentioned in that interview last night is the way many people are going to feel about life. They're thinking, I won. I got married. I had a family. I had a home. Maybe I had a second home. I drove import cars. I had an EV. I don't know, whatever it is. People go through life, and they, and they measure success by all the things the world typically measures success by. But when they take their last breath here and their first breath in eternity, they're going to think they won and they're going to realize they lost. Why? They didn't have Jesus. Here's my question to you. If Jesus was to come back today, which he might, are you ready? People get ready. Jesus is coming. We need to cue that song up. Davey, cue that song up. People get ready. We're going to play at the end of the message today. People get ready. Jesus is coming. Because nothing else matters. Right now. I don't care about a party you're going to tonight. I don't care about how wonderful your Christmas was. Here's what's gonna real what we're going to realize is one day if we don't have Jesus, we're going to think we won. 
and we're going to end up realizing we lost. I'm not saying you can't enjoy the things of this world. I'm not saying you can't enjoy a good party and you can't enjoy a wonderful holiday, but we're not to enjoy the things that are given to us from our God as a substitute for having and knowing him. And so this morning we finish out the year and perhaps prepare for a new year with perhaps maybe one of the greatest realizations we need to keep in front of us. He is returning. Can I tell you how important this is? There are 318 references to Jesus' second coming in the New Testament, which means one out of every 13 verses mentions this. Which, then I would ask you, when was the last time you thought about it? When was the last time you heard a sermon about it? You heard a message about it? I'm going to tell you, I think we're hard-pressed to remember the last time we really gave this topic any consideration or heard a, a message about it. And in almost every mention of the second coming, Jesus returning, it is connected to a moral command that says, in light of that event, we're to live this way. So perhaps we've grown maybe cold, lifeless in our walk with God because we've lost sight of the fact that he's coming back. So the New Testament says, in order to be energized in your spiritual walk with Jesus, don't forget about the reality that he's coming back just like he said he would. So we turn to Titus chapter 2, which is an amazing little section we're going we're gonna to look at this morning. Because the return of Christ is something the Bible says we ought to be anticipating. We ought to be eager for. We ought to be waiting on pins and needles. The Bible says you ought to have your, 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 your wicks trimmed, right? Your lamps burning, your, your windows open, your eyes to the heavens. You're to be anticipating this, this event. And for some of us, I think we're sleeping. I think for some of us, we've just kind of said, you know, I think I'm just going to nap right now. I'm just going to tell you, this is not a time for napping. This is a time for, for, for eagerly anticipating this, this event. We are living in the last days. Some of you, would, when it comes to end times, you need to think about the fact that we are in the last days right now. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2 says, these are the last days, and the last days started with the first coming of Jesus. So now that Jesus has already come, the last days are now in motion. And from the time of Jesus' ascension to the closing of the New Testament, the apostles believed Jesus' return would take place soon. They lived with their eyes to the skies. And this belief informed the way they lived every single day. But I want us to avoid two extremes. And you've seen these extremes when it comes to the second coming of Jesus. There's either insanity or there's indifference. The insanity is the one that, you know, people can, can predict. Oh, do you guys didn't know he's coming back uh, December 1st, 2023. Oh, yeah? Well, here we are, December 31st. What happened? You know, those, those books sell a lot, and then they end up at half-price books for even half-half half-price. Right? No one can predict the day or the hour. Or people say, he's coming back, therefore I'm going to sell everything I have. I'm going to go live on a mountainside, and I'm going to have a big sign saying, Jesus, here I am, take me. And I'm going to finish my days in some sort of toga with sandals on and just wait for him to pick me up. That's called stupidity. Right? You're not to go sell all you have and go live on some mountaintop, and that's not the, what we're encouraged to do. Nor are we to be on the opposite side of the spectrum indifferent. Right? This is what 2 Peter chapter 3, you want to look at that later. There's people who are going to say, so where's the promise of him coming back? They're going to say to the church, they're going to say to God's people, I thought you said he said he's coming back. So where is he? The Lord is not slow concerning his promises. But why has he delayed? Because there's still some that are not yet part of his family. Aren't you glad God is a patient God? Aren't you glad God is a delaying God? And plus, his timetable is so much different than our timetable. There are things called God days. Write that phrase down, God days. You know what a God day is? A thousand years is as equal to one day in God's economy. 
So you realize it's only been two God days since Jesus was here on planet Earth. Two God days. Since Paul wrote the epistles. Two God days. The Lord's not slow. So don't grow indifferent. As, as a matter of fact, I pray that today would be a day that we realize he could come back at any moment, and I hope he does. I want to live my life in such a way that says, I'm ready. So here's the big question. When's he going to come back? We don't know. But there's two things we do know. Number one, he's promised to return. And number two, you're to be ready for his arrival. That's all we know. So as we live in light of that, Titus gives us some great counsel. Turn to Titus, chapter 2, starting at verse 11 and through 13. Titus was a young pastor. Paul poured his life into this guy. Um, first, second Timothy, Titus are called pastoral epistles. They're pastoral letters. This is Paul's way of investing in these younger pastors as they minister in certain locations. Timothy was in Ephesus. Uh, Titus was on the island of Crete. Um, and Titus is, is, is ministering to people, and he, he basically wants to love these people well. And there's all sorts of people. As a matter of fact, if you look at chapter 2 of Titus, it starts talking about the older men in the church. Paul says, here's how you're to treat the older men. And then it talks about the older women. And then it talks about the young women, verse 4, and the young men, verse 6. So P Titus has a heart to love the church. But he says something here, starting at verse 10. Let's start at verse 10. And we're going to go through verse 15. So Titus chapter 2, read with me, if you would. So he says, not pilfering, but showing all good faith that they may adorn. Circle that word adorn. I love that word adorn. The doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. So God has saved you so that your life can adorn the gospel. It can, it can make the gospel appealing. It can make it beautiful. I think we lose sight of that. Verse 11. Now, here we go. For since or for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking forward to the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and uh, reprove with all authority and let no one disregard you. May God write his eternal truths upon our hearts this morning. So you'll notice three things. So you'll notice in verse 11, God has brought salvation Verse 12, now we're instructed in the salvation, and then we're to be looking forward to the completion or consummation of our salvation. So there's really three points I want us to talk through this morning, all in light of what Jesus said to his disciples in John 14. Can I just remind us of just this amazing passage? So John is writing about what Jesus said to them to encourage their hearts, so Jesus has just talked about the, the plan of God, and they're a little confused about the plan of God, the fact that Jesus would have to go get crucified. Um, but he says to the disciples in verse 1 of chapter 14, look at these words, let not your hearts be troubled. How many of us have troubled hearts this morning? There's lots of things troubling us. Believe in God. Step one, trust God. Right? Isn't that awesome? Like, trust God. But believe also in me. Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you, I would have told you that I'd go to prepare a place for you? So he's saying, I'm leaving. Don't worry because I'm preparing something marvelous for you and anyone who believes in me. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Is that cool? So, Jesus is comforting the disciples by saying, right now, as I leave, I'm preparing eternity for you and for me to be together for, forever and ever and ever and ever. The place where neither rust, rust takes place or moth breaks in uh, or thieves break in or moth eats away, place where there's no sorrow, no sickness, no, no sin, and you need to know that I'm, and, and I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you home. And so he comforts the disciples with this, this truth. 
And Titus is going to do the same thing to his church as Paul encourages him. And it all centers around this hope, right? This hope that Jesus is who he said he was and that he, what he said he's going to come through on. That's what hope is. Hope is certainty in the promises of God. Matter of fact, write that down. You need to define hope. Hope is not making sure your guy gets elected next year. Can I get an amen? Hope is not that your NFL team makes it to the Super Bowl. I wish. See, all the things that the world hopes in are I hope so's. The thing that the gospel promises are called hope sure's. Write that phrase down. Hope sure. What is your hope in today? If it is not in the person and work of Jesus Christ and all the promises that are contained with, with what he said, your hope is, is uncertain. You have no assurance when it comes to your marriage, your kids, your work. Nothing. Only the things that are believed in from the mouth of God, his promises are hope sure. Certain. And I want to continue just to remind you of this. Ladies and gentlemen, as all of our hearts cling to things that are hope so's, there's only one thing that's a hope sure. And those are the promises of God. Your hope grows as it digs into the promises of God. Are you feeling hopeless? I can guarantee you're probably neglecting the promises of God in your life. Reading, meditating, reflecting. The fact that Jesus is coming back. How many of us have even given that a thought over the past month? Probably a small portion. But here's the reminder. As we exit 2023 and get ready for 2024, how does, how does hope work? What is, what, how are we to live hopeful in light of Jesus' return? Three things. Number one is this, and we see it in verse 11. Hope has begun. And this is where it's founded on God's gift. Look at verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared. Isn't it cool that he doesn't say Jesus has appeared? He says the grace of God. Jesus is the embodiment of grace. And the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. Can I get a little hallelujah from somebody? Isn't it amazing that God would send his son, that everyone who would believe in him shall be saved and should not perish? Right? The son didn't come into the world to condemn the world. The son came into the world to save the world. Is it remarkable that hope is founded in God's gift? There is no hope apart from Jesus Christ. And as much as people wanted a warrior king, we didn't realize we needed a humble king first. Right? The fact that he came to save sinners and not slaughter them. Amen! At his second coming, though, however, Jesus will establish and execute true justice. But in the meantime, he came to deliver us from the penalty of sin. To legally declare you not guilty. Because that's the biggest thing that hangs over our hearts. We feel the guilt before God. And we try to assuage that guilt by trying to do good works and be all religious. Can I tell you to stop doing good works and stop being religious? Here's a religious guy saying, don't be religious. Why? Because religious doesn't free you. It only further puts you in bondage. Christ came to put an end to religion. Christ came to put an end to good works because he says you can't do it, but God can. See, Christ came to redeem us, to set us free. Grace redeems us, and what a redeemer. Have you been given hope? Because hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. What a glorious king. What a merciful high priest. What a, what a champion for us. And so this is what Paul instructs Titus with. He says, make sure that the hope is, is, is firmly grounded on the gospel, right? Jesus coming, dying, laying down his life that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's my prayer for everyone in this room that you would know Jesus. But, but we don't stop there. There's still that, this, this second principle that hope now has begun. It's now building. 
See, hope grows in the heart that, where it's been planted. There's work to do. You've been saved, but there's work to do. I was thinking about this this week. I heard a story. I don't know if you guys heard this, but uh, remember 2019, the Notre Dame Cathedral caught fire, and it's been under construction. It's still not done yet, but they held a concert in there this past week. And I'm going to show you a picture because the choir looks a little different than you would usually kind of look at a choir. So there's the choir. They're wearing work outfits and hard hats. They're in this um, uh, amazing cathedral that's under renovation. But they thought they'd come in and inspire for a moment. Now, what I love about this is that they're singing hymns. They're singing classical music. They're transporting an audience to another place. But yet, what they're showing is that it's still not safe and there's still work to be done. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the church. The church exists in a sacred space called the world. The church exists to transport people from this plane of existence to something otherworldly that's only found in Christ. But, but we still have work, work outfits on. We still have hard hats on. Why? Because the work's not done yet. And you're asking, well, when's the work done? The work's done when Jesus comes back. And, and we don't have the bumper stickers on our cars that say, hey, Jesus is coming. Look busy. That's not the, the mentality. The mentality is we're busy because the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. We're, we're, we're busy because there's no one who, like Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. This world is a dangerous place. This world is under construction. We need hard hats. We need workmen's outfits. And we need to be the agents that God has called us to be to transport people from this worldly existence to some other worldly existence that's only found in Jesus Christ. This is how hope is built. And the hope that is building is fueled on God's grace. And can I tell you how marvelous God's grace is? And we're going to talk about God's grace even in depth here. See, God's grace has not only freed us from the penalty of sin, first point. God's grace has freed us from the power of sin, this point. And the more you're freed from the power of sin of your life, the more hope grows in that heart and that soul. Look at verse 12. Titus, instructing us, so God has brought salvation. Now we are being instructed, this is present today, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So, so here's the, the work that's in progress. It's, it's twofold. There's a negative and there's a positive. The negative is we have to renounce ungodliness and worldly desires. But the positive is cultivating an appetite for the things that are pure and lovely and noble and honorable and excellent and holy. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about it in, in, in three ways. But here's what I don't want us to do. So I don't want us to be so future-minded that we're of no present good. You ever heard that phrase before? There's some people that love end times and return of Jesus and all that future stuff that they're of no present good. That's not what God wants. You're here to do work. And if I could quote my friend C.S. Lewis, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but from the book Mere Christianity, and I hope maybe if it's on your resolution list to read books this year, you read Mere Christianity, the number one book that has most influenced Christian thinking in the 20th century. Here's what Lewis says. Hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Wow, look at this. Aim at heaven, and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. Whew. Ladies and gentlemen, may God spur our hearts and our minds to live today faithfully in light of that future return. Three things that are going to help us do this right here. They're going to help us walk in the Spirit and experience this, this hopefulness, right? God, use me as I anticipate your arrival. Three things. Number one, grace grips us to renounce. 
If you understand the grace of God, you do not consider sin as a license to do whatever you want to do. Grace, truth, leads us to godly living. Belief impacts our behavior. Our journey in Christ, now that he has saved us, will consist in continually denouncing things that hinder us from growing in holiness. You should be able to look back over this past year if you're in Christ. You claim to be a believer. You claim to be a follower. How many things have you renounced that have helped you grow in holiness in Christ? And if you sit there and go, uh, you ought to be concerned. If there is not a constant subtracting of things from your life that are competing with your allegiance with your Savior, something's not right. Ladies and gentlemen, we come to Jesus, we're saved in Christ, and then we think, no, I'm good. I'll go ahead and throw this baby on cruise control and just coast my way into eternity. Don't think so quickly about that. You are saved for godliness. You are saved for holiness. You are saved to make a difference in time and eternity. God has saved you. Now he wants you to adorn him in your life. And your belief will impact your behavior. Don't get it backwards. Because behavior modification is legalistic Phariseeism. I don't want you to think about, well, I just got to change my actions. Changing your actions doesn't help. Changing your affections helps. Affections for God will translate to a change of uh, actions for God. Please do not hear anything different because you have been saved to display God's saving power in your godly conduct and you're to look different now than you did look yesterday and a month ago and a year ago. If there has been no change, you ought to be concerned. And I wouldn't be faithful to God or the gospel or his word if I didn't say things like this. Because the last thing I want you to do is live in a sense of, of false security. And be like, well, I go to church. Well, so do the demons. <laughs> the demons believe, just like some of you believe. The only difference is they shudder at God's truth. And not because they believe it, because they understand how powerful God is. Ladies and gentlemen, has your heart grown in dullness or is it growing in delightfulness? Is, is your heart been dulled because this is what sin does? If we don't renounce ungodliness, it dulls our souls. If I don't renounce worldly things, it dulls my soul. And no wonder I have less affections for Christ than I did maybe when I was in college. Because I've allowed things to creep in and not excite me, but exacerbate me. <laughs> Think about it. God wants you to delight. It does not take work for weeds to grow in the, in the soil of your hearts. Anyone out there green thumbs? I'm not. I kill living things, mostly, mostly plants. I'm not, I, I need to clarify that. It takes a lot to mo maintain a garden. It takes a lot to make sure your trees and bushes and all that thing. But you know what? If you just leave it unattended, weeds will just grow. We all know this. And all I know is that I will not allow weeds to grow in my soul, and I need some Roundup, some weed killer. And you know the only Roundup there is for killing those weeds in your soul is the Word of God. If you have not grown in your love for the Word of God because that excites affections for God, you're allowing those weeds to grow. Sin is getting a grip. Grace is not a license to do as we please. It is a, the power to do as we should. God has saved us to give us the power to defeat the flesh, not by our own power, but by his power. Trying is not the same as dying. Write those two words down. Trying in self will never work as much as dying to self will work. You are called, God bless you, to die to yourself. Which, which I think works with the next point. 
it's not just renouncing everything that has, it causes hostility between me and God. It's, it's teaching us to rejoice in the things that God has given to us, right? Notice that it's twofold here, right? So Paul says, instructing them to renounce, deny ungodliness, worldly desires, but to what? Pursue, to, to, to rejoice in the fact that he's given us his word, the spirit, the people of God, the church, right? These are the things that ought to excite us. And so we have been chosen, we have been called, not as, 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 as individuals, but as a community. We're called to holy living in order that we might demonstrate the saving power of our God and, and that the world sees that we're changed people and we're changing people. And they're going to ask us about the hope that's in us. What makes you different? When your marriage is going through difficult times, why do you seem optimistic? When you lost your job, why do you seem hopeful? When you have that incurable disease, what is it that's anchoring your heart? Because my other neighbor would be just going crazy, but yet you have some sort of composure. Please tell us about the hope that's in you. Right? So something about our lives ought to, ought to look different. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's, it's preparing ourselves because we know this world is not all there is, that there's a heavenly home waiting for us, and that my, my bridegroom is coming at any moment. 32, almost 32 years ago, I, I watched that woman walk down the aisle at a Baptist church in, in Scottsdale. I know Baptist, that explains a lot. My love of food. <laughs> but those Baptists know how to party, just telling you. But I'm going to tell you, the moment my wife and I were engaged to be married, it was our desire to plan and prepare for that big day. And I'm going to tell you, I have never seen a bride-to-be lazily, haphazardly, carelessly plan for that day of marriage. She is like all in, right? She's just like, I got the books, I've got my vision board, I got my scrapbooks, got, got all this stuff, right? And, and everything is focused on that day. Right? And there I am at the front of the church, and I'm standing there, and I've got my, my, my groomsmen there, and all I know is that there's this long aisle, and then there's doors that are going to open, and little did I know once those doors open, the Shekinah glory of the Lord burst forth, and it's like, Wah! right? Like, nothing prepares you for that moment. I'm crying. I'm blubbering. I'm sobbing. I'm happy. I'm elated. I'm excited. It was everything I anticipated, and more. And she's walking, and we're just pre we prepare for this moment. And as I've officiated, I've officiated hundreds of weddings. I have never seen a slovenly bride-to-be. I have never seen a bride go, I'll just get up and wear something I pick out of the closet. I've never seen a bride just kind of just be like, you know what, uh, whatever, we'll just... No, no, no. Every bride makes sure she is ready to go. Every groom makes sure he's ready to go. And I have sat front and center and watched these connections, watched these appearances, watched these arrivals, watched these entrances, and everyone's just like, wow. And yet our bridegroom is coming back to get his bride. How prepared are we? Are we every single day being like, okay, how do I look? How, how, do, how do I look? Are, are the plans ready to go? Are, the, is the food, are, we, are we ready or are we just like, yeah, it could happen? See, we don't bring the same intensity. We don't bring the same urgency. Ladies and gentlemen, you are the bride of Christ. The wedding day is going to happen. And he's coming back. And he wants to consummate this union. Are you prepared? The Bible says get ready. Because point number three, grace encourages us to remember. Grace somehow speaks to our souls and says, we're not done yet. And we're not home yet. Our hope is tethered to him who is coming back. All I know is I've spent time away from my wife. And I don't like spending time away from my wife and any sort of connection I can have with my wife. Back in the day before cell phones and tablets, I know there was such a day. Some young people were like, wait, there was a day? We write letters to one another. 
And I run out to the mailbox and be like, is there a letter from Lori? Is there a letter from Lori? Is there a letter from Lori? And I, and I smell that letter. Mm, it smells so good. It smells like Lori. Open that letter. Hear words from Lori. My heart is continually connected and, and, and encouraged and growing in affection the more we stay connected, knowing that even though we're apart, one day we're going to be together. See, grace encourages us to remember these things. The word of God, the promises of God are what makes that hope, hope grow. Yes, he's left, but he's coming back. And I think maybe our affections for Christ have grown dull because we've lost sight of that future moment, your eternity with him. Have we lost sight of realizing that we're going to spend eternity with him? This world is not our home. I remember reading the story of a woman named Florence Chadwick who uh, stepped into the waters of the Pacific Ocean off Catalina Island because she was determined to swim to the shore of the state of California. She had already swam across the English Channel both directions. But this day she decided to swim to California from Catalina, the weather was very, very foggy. And the water was freezing cold, and she could hardly see the boats that were around her that were accompanying her on this, on this trip. And she swam and swam 15 hours into her swim. Eventually she had enough. She couldn't take it anymore. She begged to be taken out of the water. Her mom was in one of the boats nearby, and she said, Mom, get me out. I can't do this. And her mother told her that she was very, very close to the shore and that she could make it if she just kept going. Finally, she was so physically and mentally and emotionally exhausted, she stopped swimming, and she had to be pulled from the water. And it wasn't until she got into the boat that she discovered that the shore was less than a half mile away. And in a news conference after her swim which failed, this is what she said, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. There's a lot that's blurring our vision right now, you guys. And I guess I'm in your life to say, keep swimming. Can I be Dora in your life from Finding Nemo? Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. Greater, greatest character from Pixar. Come on, let's be honest. Just keep swimming. Guys, we're almost home. Can I say that? We're almost home? Yes. You're almost home. Your life is but a vapor. Christ could come back at any moment. Can I just tell you, live today as if it was your last. Live today as if he could come back today. Adorn your life with godliness, holiness, Purity, do not be ashamed at his arrival, but be eagerly anticipatory of his arrival. Talk about his return. Hope for his return. Pray for his return. Trim those lamps. Prepare the house. Get the master's favorite meal ready. He's coming back. So Paul says these words, and he says, one day, last point, your hope will be blessed. Notice what Paul says in verse 13. I love this verse. Perhaps one of the, and this is all one sentence. In Paul's letter, it's like he's so excited. He just, it's kind of like when I, people are like, Scott, breathe. Stop, take a breath, breathe. He says in verse 13, looking for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, he's brought, now he's instructing, but you need to be looking. Because the one who is God, his name is Christ Jesus who has conquered sin, death, and the grave, is coming back. And he wants to bring you home with him. There is, there is no fear in the heart of those who have embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because your sins have been forgiven, and if you're living in godliness, there's no dread. You're ready. Perhaps one of the gifts of the Spirit is to give you that comfort. That if Christ should come today, you're ready to go. See, Paul wants us to, to, to be there. Because when he comes, there's going to be joy and richness and peace and, and, and reward and perfection and sinlessness and glory. Are you anticipating his return? Would you live your life today and perhaps if you have tomorrow in light of this? Remember, the first time he came in humility... He displayed grace. The second time he's going to come as a majestic warrior king, he's coming in glory. And one day we'll be free from the presence of sin. 
See, grace, salvation, frees us from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and one day the presence of sin. See, grace brings redemption, it brings reformation, and it's going to bring reward. How, how can we be prepared for this arrival? Can I give you five applications right now? Five applications that you can go ahead and say, I want to live by these things today. They're going to help your hearts remain alert, affectionate, aware of, of his second coming. First is this, spiritual alertness. First thing, uh, spiritual awareness. And again, I'm, I'm, this, is a, this is a call to obedience and holiness and godliness. This is a call to renounce the things that dull your spiritual sensitivities and to be sober in your minds and hearts. Don't be filled with distilled spirits. <laughs> be filled with the Holy Spirit. As I say that on New Year's Eve. <laughs> hey, you know, have fun, party, but guess what? Don't let anything desensitize you to the, the work of the Spirit. Can I think, of, think about the things you listen to and the things you watch and the things you give so much time to. I'm going to tell you right now, majority of people I talk to and want to hear about them spending hours on, I'm like, this is not doing anything good for your hearts. Walk more in holiness. And as you walk more in holiness, hopefulness will grow in you. Some of you are like, I need to know hope. Ground yourself in the Word of God. Hunger for the Word of God. Thirst for the Word of God. There is no other resource the Spirit will use outside the Word of God. This is why we are a church community that sits under the instruction of the Word of God. I'm not here to tell you what's on Oprah's book club list. I'm not here to tell you what your Enneagram number is. All that stuff is garbage compared to the Word of God. These are His promises. Don't neglect His Word. How many of you want to read the Word this year in its entirety? I will post on social media your reading plan for the year. You want to read the Bible in a year? Let's do it. You want to memorize the Word of God this year? Let's do it. Why? You have a better idea? So you're like, I'm going to binge read this new series of books. What? Prioritize Christ. Prioritize Christ. Become more like He is. You ever been to a church? I heard uh, someone told me, some churches, the pastor would close the service by saying the words Maranatha, which means Lord's coming, and the church would respond, and it could be today. You ever heard that before? So if I say Maranatha, church, wouldn't that be good? Hey, not that we're going to do it, but let us live like it. What if we saw each other on the street and be like, hey, Lucas, Maranatha, and he goes, that's right. Isn't that awesome? I think we can use more of that attitude right? Today could be my last chance to repent. Today could be my last chance to forgive, my last chance to share the gospel with somebody. How about number two, missional eagerness, meaning we live in a world that is hopeless, that's dying. We're the choir members with the work outfits on and the hard hats, and that we ought to be the ones who sense this urgency in our witness that we are to remember that the bridegroom's delays are because of his unsurpassed love for his bride and that we are to be intentional in our relationships, that we want to be those laborers sent. Can I tell you about the amazing moments I've had at Sozo? That God uses this vehicle to, to minister to people, customers that have turned into friends who pull me aside when I'm here during the week and they're saying, can I talk to you? And as they're shedding a tear, my son's just being diagnosed with a terminal illness. And I come around the bar and I hug them and they cry and they say, will you pray for me? Can I tell you how many encounters I have like that? Why? Because I serve amazing coffee drinks? No. Because I have a connection with the Almighty. And my hope is not just to pray for them in whatever situation is going on, but to pray for their hearts that they would love Jesus. We have customers that have turned into converts. Can you imagine that? Do we sense an urgency of people in our lives? Think about the people in your circle. 
I remember in the college, someone said, put together your top five list. Top five people you want to see come to know Jesus Christ. Who are they? Write down those five names and pray for them daily. And watch God work. Because if he's put a burden on your heart for them, you better believe he's working on the other end on their hearts for him. Is there a missional urgency? How about number three, relational healthiness? In a parenthesis, write the word forgiveness down. Some of you have relationships that need to be healed. Today's the day to do that. Talk to more and more people. They're just like, yeah, it's a broken relationship with my mom and dad. I'm okay with that. What? I've spent too many times at the bedside of someone dying who's ready to enter a crisis eternity because they have not experienced forgiveness. One instance in particular, a mother and daughter whose relationship was so strained and so toxic and so bitter that I'm at the bedside as mom is literally minutes away from dying trying to allow these, these two women to be reconciled. You do not want to be in that place. Maybe you need a top five people of people you need to be to extend forgiveness to. <laughs> so separate top five list. Who are the five people you want to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Who are the five people you need to be reconciled to today? You do not want to leave this world having unfinished relational business. Some of you are like, I only have one. Good. Some of you are like, I have ten. Well, get to work. <laughs> Tim Keller had pointed out that believing in the return of Jesus gives us the power to forgive. Why? He says, when someone wrongs us, we want justice. We run to the judgment seat of the world, hop on it, and help God mete out his due. But here's the problem. You weren't meant for that seat. It is too big for you. Here's what we know about the return of Christ. He will vindicate all wrong. Stop looking for justice and start peddling forgiveness. You know today, you're here in this, this holy place, and you know that one or two people that you need to be reconciled to. Here's what the Bible says. Leave your offering and go be reconciled to the one you know that there's issues with. Number four. I know some of you are like, I didn't expect it to be this applicable to my life. Well, it is. Experiential hopefulness. Some of these I had to get real creative with. Experiential hopefulness, meaning this, that there's hope in suffering. In our experiences, good or bad, we need to know there's, there's hope. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Don't forget these words, verses 16 through 18. We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this momentary light affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Here's what I do know, is that the return of Christ is good news for people whose lives are filled with bad news. Can I tell you, I woke up this morning, went downstairs, and there's a leak coming from my second story in my family room. Upstairs bathroom's leaking. Good times in the Oregon house. Woohoo! Two days ago, my wife, I ran over some sort of tool in the road and it totally crushed brand new tires. Good times in the Morgan household. But you know what? First world problems. I've got a savior who's going to right all wrongs. Guess what? Heaven's a place where there's no more flat tires. Can I get an amen on that one? Heaven is a place where there's no more leaky faucets or, or leaky pipes. Can I get an amen on that? Ladies and gentlemen, return, the return of Christ gives us reason to, to, to journey through the darkest of valleys. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because my God is there to walk with me and comfort me. You have nothing to fear. 
This momentary light affliction is nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory. Not that I want to minimize anything going on in anyone's life, but it's all about perspective. Amen? Last point is this. Material aloofness. I told you I'm getting really creative. Don't you like that word aloofness? You know what it means? It means I'm distancing myself more and more from material things. You know what it says? It says, in this world, I'm going to travel light because this is not my home. Here's what I have found over the years. The more you invest in the things of this world, the less interested you are in the world that's come. Can I just stop and encourage us that stop being deeply enchanted with the world and pay attention to the groaning of the spirit within you that is crying for Jesus to return. Romans chapter 8. We are exiles and sojourners. We're not to encumber ourselves with unnecessary baggage and treasures here because our real homeland and our real treasure is yet to come. Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith chapter. Here's what it says. Those, uh, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. How do the men and women of Scripture, what would they counsel us? They say, don't get attached to this world. For people who speak, this make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God and has prepared for them a city. Woo! What an amazing day it's going to be. What a reward for those who long for his appearing and don't get entangled with this world. Let me close with the words of the Apostle Paul. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Listen to these words. Again, words that we're familiar with, but maybe we haven't really thought deeply considered about. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Woohoo, that sounds good, doesn't it? That's like t-shirt material right there. But rarely do we go on. Look what he says. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also all those who have loved his appearing. You know what that says? There's a reward for those who are eagerly anticipating his arrival. Not every believer is going to get this. I want every single one of you to get it. The crown of righteousness given to those who love his appearing. Are you ready? Are you ready, church? Maranatha! It could be today. (laughs) Let's live for his glory today. Let's live for the gospel today. And if somehow we should wake up tomorrow, let's do it all again. Are you ready? Have you embraced the sun? The sun given for you that is coming back. Please don't let him return and have you be an enemy. Let him return and have you be a friend and a son and daughter. Praise God for a wonderful Savior. And all God's people said, let's stand, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the reminder that all these things are going to come to an end. This world and all its enticements and all its luxuries and all its distractions, Lord, it's all going to come to an end. You are reigning, Lord, and that reign is going to come to a final culmination one day. Lord, I pray that you would find hearts that are just eager for that moment that are excited about that coming day lord continue to 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 allow our hearts our spirits our souls to just be awakened to the reality that you could come at any moment there's nothing what you want more from us than for us to be anticipating your arrival find us faithful faithful in our work faithful in our worship faithful in our our allegiances and our affections, Lord. Find us faithful and, and ready to go. Lord, we pray, Maranatha, I pray it would be today. I pray that you would continue to be that one true treasure that would delight and excite our hearts more than anything else.
Thank you for this church community. Thank you for your, your promises. Thank you for the hope that is sure for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's a hope that will never, ever disappoint. We thank you for that. Thank you for doing for us what we can never do for ourselves by sending us a Savior, a Redeemer, a Deliverer. Thank you for all who believe in him. We will not be disappointed because we are free from the penalty of sin, death, and the grave. Thank you for eternal life in Christ, Lord. Help us to continue to grow and explore this hope. Thank you for being such a good God. Thank you for giving us Jesus. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his face towards you and give you his grace and peace forever and ever. Amen. Have a great day. See you.